Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Israel is Real. When you say the word Israel and then you try to attack the subject, it's almost like trying to grab for a fly out of the sky and grab it. And we're not going to, obviously, Israel, just the word itself is mentioned a couple of thousand times at least in the Bible. You say Israel, you're talking about Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. You're talking about the land of Israel. You're talking about the people Israel. Are you talking about the state of Israel? There's so many things that Israel kind of brings to mind, and especially in our current day, a lot going on over there. But I want to start in the scriptures, and we'll kind of go left from Genesis to Revelation, and I'm going to just skip some stones over the thing. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 17, if you'll turn there. I'm not going to try to jump in and attack a bunch of different theological approaches to Israel either. There are people here and listening, I'm sure beyond here, who believe all kind of different stuff about whether it's an actual state of Israel or, you know, the people go back to an actual place or if we are the Israel of God as believers, you know, I'm not chasing all that. I'll tell you by the time we get done, hopefully why we're addressing this today at least. Look at Genesis 17, verse 1 and following. And it's taking all the way back to a guy named Abram. Not Abraham, but Abram. And it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And let me jump in here and just take the word covenant. Part of what the word covenant means implied in the word covenant is a cutting and it was animals that were cut into in abraham's case he walked through some carcasses of animals and that was just kind of a way that a deal was cut and if you cut a deal with somebody it means that deal would stick old school texas at least oil field two men would put their hands out shake hands they made a deal it didn't matter what you signed if you didn't keep that deal you were done for life you were known as someone who didn't keep your word your word meant nothing you made a deal, but you didn't back it up. When God makes a deal, when he cuts a deal, he keeps the deal. And here he cuts a deal literally with Abram. He says, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And he puts the sound that Yahweh, that's kind of a guttural sound, Abraham, where it meant that God's name had been inserted into Abram's name, and now he was Abraham, or Abraham as we know him. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And I think that's interesting the fact that he says to Abraham, 
I'm going to make you the father not of a nation, but of many nations. Go to Genesis chapter 32, a few pages over. Jacob is traveling with his family, and everybody's been sent ahead, and he's going back to kind of make things right with his brother, as I recall. And in Genesis 32, 22, and he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, this is Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So the, even the term Israel comes from a fight that Jacob has. It's a new name. And from then on, Israel. And Israel turns out to be, have 12 sons. And these 12 sons are 12 tribes. And then that's where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. And all of Israel comes out of this lineage of this one guy. But again, traceable all the way back to Abraham, the promise, the covenant that went through him. Now jump to Leviticus chapter 18. It's probably not where you spend your devotional time in the morning, but there's some great stuff in Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and chapter 18, verse 24 and following. And lest you think God is all mercy, and he is a lot of mercy, and we're all living proof of that, he makes deals, and he says, here is the deal, and I will keep my side no matter what, but if you don't keep your side, there is at least going to be consequence. And listen to how he describes the consequence here. And he's given them, by the way, before this, a bunch of things. Don't do this. Don't do this. And if you do, this is what will happen. But then he kind of sums it up. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among the people." he's describing here, the writer is talking about the land literally saying, I can't take anymore. You're out of here. It's like your stomach. You put something in it. It doesn't settle with you and you vomit. You throw up. It's like this land, God says, if you don't behave, if you don't obey me, if you don't do the right thing, this land is going to spit you out. You cannot stay here. In the same way that people who were there before you that I've thrown out, they did these abominations, they're out. So literally you have kind of this a land issue that the land itself cannot tolerate sin the way God has set it up. Now jump over to Luke chapter 21 in the New Testament. Luke 21, 24. And here Jesus says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The Jews were exiled from the land of Israel by the Romans in 135 A.D. After they defeated the Jews in a three-year war, and the Jews did not have any control over the land until when? 1948. I think that is fairly extraordinary. 
Go to Romans chapter 9. One of the things that I don't think we don't even have a clue about really is the huge deal that it was for God to have chosen a group of people. It says to Abraham, you're it, your lineage, you're it. And then this mystery just kind of bubbles all throughout history, this thing that is going to happen that is so bizarre, so foreign to a Jewish brain that somehow at a point in time, God would leave heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die on the cross, be buried, raised from the dead, all for what? Not just to get Jews further saved, get them more in the family, but God jumped way over the Jews and said, you know what? It isn't about just you anymore. It's about whosoever will may come. Now, most everybody listening today is a Gentile. You say, well, yeah, it's all for us. You don't understand how foreign it is for a Jew who was it. It's like white people in America having to let somebody sit in the front of the bus with them. You say, well, that's no big deal. Yeah, because you didn't live back when that was a problem. And to be the Gentile outsider treated like you're nobody, and then all of a sudden the God of the universe comes down and says, guess what? It isn't just about those white people over there. It's about everybody. It's not just about those Jews over there. I'm taking you, and you're going to have equal grounding with them. You're in the family as much as they are. Now, that freaks the Gentiles completely out, and it makes some of the Jews mad as hell, literally. God, you cannot do that. We're it. We have always been it. Now, anybody who really knows God and really gets God, as uncomfortable as it is, you find yourself stretching and you say, okay, God can do what he wants to do. He's God. And if he chose me, he can choose whoever he wants to. And he's maybe expanded this. And now all of a sudden, people that I didn't think were my family are my family. Now, there's lots of parallels here you can track with this. But just be aware of how foreign this is. Now, to top that all off, God picks one of the Jew of Jews to chase the Gentiles. He didn't pick some hot dog Gentile to go after Gentiles. He gets the Jew of Jews, a guy named Saul, who had a little encounter with Jesus himself and changed his name to Paul. And now Paul is sent to go after Gentiles and tell them, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, but you're in just like I am. Welcome. Now look at Romans chapter 9. And this will help you get a feeling and an idea how deeply Paul felt about this because though he was sent to the Gentiles, he had not abandoned the Jews, his own people where he had come from. And in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Romans, he says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. I did a sermon once, I think it was called, I'll be damned if you'll go to heaven. And that's literally what Paul said to the Israelites, to his own people. I would be damned to hell if that would somehow get you into heaven. That's how much he loved them. Now, you say, well, but we're all on the same team. Let me just be really careful to point this out. I think in Scripture, I'll read just some more to back it up. God has not forgotten his people. God has not jumped over them to us and taken us in and forgotten them. And this is kind of where all this is coming from for me today. There are not many people in the world who keep their word anymore. People's word means nothing. The old school shaking hands is out. You better have it signed, sealed, delivered, notarized, because one day you could end up in court because somebody didn't follow through. 
This God of mine cuts deals and he keeps them. And when you open this book and you're looking for answers, you're trying to figure out where you stand and what God thinks about you, and you read something and he says something like this, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what you can say about that? That he will never leave you or forsake you. You say, but I don't feel him anymore. What you feel has nothing to do with the deal he cut. You say, well, I think God's left me. It's not possible. The entire universe would collapse on one, one time God not keeping his word. Because who he is holds it all together. So there is a lot riding on what you read in this book. You say, well, I read the Bible and I don't believe it. You better start believing it. Because when you open it and he speaks to you and you see something, you say, oh God, I wish that were true for me. Then say, God, why don't I believe it? Help me believe it. Help me see that it is true. And if you said it, it is going to happen. And you back up your word. Jump down to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Is it still Paul writing to the church in Rome? And he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Still talking about it. Jump to chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Paul is going here back and forth between Jews, Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles, trying to say it's all of us, it's not by works, and let's just let it speak for itself. In verse 1, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? His people being who? Israel. Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah's like, oh, I'm the only one left. And God says, well, that's what you think. There's 7,000. You ever feel like, oh, I'm the only one? No one's trusting God with me. Oh, woe is me. I'm all by myself doing the right thing. And God says, no, you're not. I got plenty of people in pockets all over the place. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You have to go read that yourself to make sense of it. But <laughs> it all makes sense. You just have to slow down a little bit. He's saying it's not of works, it's of grace. That makes it pretty easy. All right, you have to read the rest by yourself, but jump down to verse 25 of Romans 11. And he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts, now read this verse 29, look at this. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There is no annulling your relationship with God. Oh, I got saved a couple of years ago. I didn't sign up for all this. I'm getting it annulled. I'm taking God to court and saying, you know what? We never really did consummate. I didn't understand it was all about this. I'm out. You can't get out of this deal. And when God gives you something, the gifts, the calling of God are irrevocable. He's not backing out. When God adopts you into his family, we as Gentiles, most of us, he adopts us into our family. 
God is not a foster parent. God doesn't say to you or to me, he says, you know what, I've looked at your file, I've looked at your record, and I've considered this, and I really think you're a great kid. And the three of us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we've all talked about it. We're going to take you under foster care. And we may ship you off to some other home if things don't work out, but there's a chance that we may adopt you. But we'll see. We'll give it some time. You ever been a foster kid? What a nightmare. You go live in somebody's house and you're trying to be all smiley and happy and do your best because what? Maybe they'll keep me. And some people treat being a Christian this way. They think, oh, I better be good or God's going to throw me out. You get in his family, guys. There is no foster care. There are no stepchildren. You're either his kid or you're not. And I am his child. You can't get me out of the family. And what makes church so rough for some people is, well, I'm stuck with you. Because dad says he adopted you just like he adopted me, and I can't get rid of you. Well, I don't like that. I'm running away from home. Well, what'd that get you? By yourself. So you come back in here and look around and go, oh, gosh, another church full of screwed up people. I don't like this church. Well, you're not going to find another one that's not full of screwed up people. So you go, we all got the same dad. We're in this for the long haul. He ain't going to get rid of us. We're not going to get rid of him, even if we try, and we're not going to get rid of each other. Let's figure this out. Let's be a family. Verse 30, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are all his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now look at part of what happens in the end in Revelation 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And by the way, it doesn't take a lot of angels to get powerful stuff done. One angel throws Satan in the pit forever. One angel. So you say, oh, Father, I pray send legions of angels. You say, well, why are you going to tie up all those troops? <laughs> all you need is one angel. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree, so it's deathly still. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I numbered the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Ishakar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. Benjamin, 12,000. He says, wait, don't touch anything. There's 144,000 of them. We're going to seal them. Then look at verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. Keep reading with me. No one could number the people of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
I do not understand why we cannot do that now. And I get so sick and tired of people, oh, I believe every word in the Bible. And they say, well, I believe that's what's going to happen. I say, then why don't you have enough faith to do it today? Why you got to wait till we have to do it there when we could choose to do it here? There ain't no south heaven. (laughs) Verse 9 again. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. There are going to be trees in heaven. And saying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. If God tells you something, you can take it to the bank. And I don't know what he's told you, what you've read, what you've given up on. And I don't understand all I know about even the state of Israel right now. And even if I'm wrong, I turn my TV on and I see this little piece of dirt. And I know for a fact there are a billion and a half Muslims on the planet that would love to see everything Jewish scraped from that piece of dirt. And they can't do it. How can a billion and a half people not destroy one little bug on the planet? And there's something to me that says, something's up. Something's up. And in a strange way, I turn my TV on and I see that. And I say, God, I don't know if that's all what I think it is. But if you can protect a little piece of dirt, I'm thinking you can take care of me. And if you can get what you say you were going to do hundreds and a few thousand years ago, you said things and you keep your word, then I'm going to try to find some more stuff in here to stand on and trust you and believe you and make it. Because when you cut a deal, you keep the deals you cut. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this book. These words that are not just words, they are you giving your word. And Lord, how we got in this deal, I don't have a clue. Just even be born and born in a place where it is so simple to receive the gospel, and yet so many people say, oh no, I think I'll pass. My life's better than that. And go on without you somehow, Lord. I'm not even a Jew, Lord. I'm an outsider. And I made it. And somehow you picked me and so many more that are listening and so many more that are on the way into this family. And Lord, I'm not saying I went out of here today, but there's a part of me that can't wait for that day where every nation, every tribe, every people, we stand before that throne and we can't even stand anymore. We got to fall and worship you because you are the God Almighty that loved us enough to come after us. And you're a God that keeps covenant, that makes deals and keeps them. 
Father, there's got to be somebody listening today who's empty and overwhelmed with shame and despair and guilt and fear and doubt and not sure how they're going to clear up their past, make it through today, much less tomorrow. They don't have an answer for you in heaven if they drop dead today. May somebody today just come to the end of themselves and just say, God, I've screwed up. I'm a sinner. I get it. I see it. I know it. And I never dreamed that you love me so much. And I understand now why Jesus came, that it's your proof of your love and his willingness to die, the manifestation of his love for us, to suffer and die on that cross, shed that blood, to cover our sin, be buried and raised from the dead. And God, I'm in. I accept the gift. You're offering it free and clear. I accept this gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of my sins freely. Change my heart. Change my mind. Give me a new start, a new heart, a new life. And God, I thank you that this gift and this relationship is irrevocable, that you're not going to leave me. You're not going to abandon me. This isn't foster care. This is God care. I'm in your family forever. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you. richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.